I want to invite you to take some notes this morning because when we take notes, we capture the thought, we can apply the principle and reap the benefit. So my title today is The Gospel Brings Prosperity. The Gospel Brings Prosperity. I was going to call my title The Prosperity Gospel, but then I thought that's a bit too provocative. So The Gospel Brings Prosperity. And human nature is to get, but God's nature is to give. Like it says in John 3, 16, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. So giving is God's way. And when we follow and serve the Lord, we are changed to be more like him. And we change. We become a giving person. And this is supernatural because it's not natural to want to give away a significant portion of your income every week. (laughs) And we need a revelation of the Lord as Jehovah Jireh, our provider. So today I've got four points with scriptures on how the gospel brings prosperity. You all right, everyone? You got your tea? (laughs) We're just having some seating problems. (laughs) Four points on how the gospel brings prosperity into our lives. Number one, are you ready? God is our provider. God is our provider. Matthew 6, 33 which is like my favorite scripture, or it's like my motto. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And the context there, the things they were talking about were food and clothes, our everyday needs. So seek him, and then he, seek him first, and then he provides all the things we need as well. So here's Jesus telling us to seek God first, and then the Lord will provide for us. So when we give our hearts to Jesus, he becomes our father. The very nature of father is provider, provider. And he is a good dad. He looks after us, his kids. And you know what? The Lord is not poor. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Not a thousand cattle on a hill. (laughs) The cattle on a thousand hills. And you know the news, I watch the news and they're prophesying in the last week or two, gloom or doom, recession. And um, I just thought, you know what, there's no recession in heaven. In heaven they even paved the streets with gold instead of asphalt. That's how blessed and wealthy the Lord is. There's no recession in heaven and we don't live as God's children on New Zealand's economy, on the earth's economy. Our supply as children of the Lord does not come from this world or this nation. It comes from heaven because the Lord is our source and he has promised to look after us and provide for us. Your source, my source, is not your boss. It's not your pay packet. It's not the government. If you're young, it's not your parents. It's the Lord and it comes through him. So when we bring our tithes and offerings, we're not just paying it to the church. We're giving it to the Lord and it's a holy thing. He is Jehovah Jireh our provider. Here's another great scripture. This is such a cool promise from him. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory. He's got riches and glory in heaven. He's going to meet our needs. So, and he not only gives us what we need, he actually gives us more than enough. So he gives us something to give. So we can give into his house and his kingdom and enough to share with others. And I remember when I was a little girl and I'd go to church sometimes in this old mainline church with stained glass windows with my granny and she would give me a little 10 cents or one of those little brown coins that they used to have back in the day. So she would give me something to put in the offering. 
And if she hadn't given me something, I would have nothing to give. And I think that's like that with the Lord. We would have nothing to give anyway unless he had first given it to us. He is our source, amen? So number one was God is our provider. Number two, let's put God in first place. Put God in first place. And that's like that seek first scripture. Here's another scripture, Psalm 24 verse one. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The King James is the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns it all. He gives us the air we breathe. And when we surrendered our lives to Jesus, we made him the boss of our lives. So we have to let Jesus not only be our saviour, but also be our Lord. And you know, when we talk about money it's, uh, and finance in church, it's, uh, it really is a lordship thing. It's a lordship deal. And as Kiwis, we can think, well, we're strong and independent and pioneering. Hey, no one's going to tell me what to do. And, and God can't tell me what to do with my money. Who does God think he is anyway? God? Yes, he is. He is the king over all kings. He is the Lord over all lords. He is the creator of the universe. Therefore, he has authority to tell us what to do and how to live because he made us. And the Lord loves us and the Lord wants us to have, uh, the Lord wants to have all of us there is to have. So he wants first place in our hearts. He's asking for that unashamedly because he is first. So it is unthinkable for us to relegate him, the king of heaven, the creator of the universe to second or third place. You know, if the president of the USA came to New Zealand and he decided to come to church and he decided to come to C3 Coast, we would be so ready. We would be here early and we'd be hoovering and dusting the seats. Nice seats, eh? Nice new seats. And, and, and we'd be like making sure we had a coffee ready for him. We'd be all dressed up and we'd be organised and ready because it's about honour. Yet we have the Lord Almighty here every week and hey, we turn up if we can, you know, maybe if uh, uh, halfway through the second song or unless, of course, our kid has a sports competition um, like the Bay of Plenty Tiddlywinks tournament or something like that, which they have to be at because, it, of course, that takes precedence. Hello, if we put sport before the Lord's house on the Lord's day, we are teaching our kids that sport is Lord, not Jesus. So we've got to be careful about that. You know, we've just had the coronation recently of King, and, King Charles and Queen Camilla. We're coming here to see three coasts to visit us. We would be ready, wouldn't we? We'd be dressed up in our bears here early just to host them. But we have the King of Kings every week. Are we too busy to host him, to see him, to be with him? We have to honour him because Jesus deserves our best. So here's some thoughts. Who is first place in your schedule and your calendar and your life? What is first place in your schedule, your calendar and your life? Let's always keep Jesus Christ in first place in our schedule, in our calendar, in our week, in our day as we seek his face, in our finance and in our lives. Point number three, God wants to give to you and through you. To you and through you. So this is talking about stewardship, how we steward the things he has entrusted to us. The Lord provides for us and for our needs, and we get so full up with him, we start to overflow. He pours into us so much that we have an overflow happening. 
And then we become a good, faithful steward with that by giving it out to others. We bring him what is first, our tithes and offerings, and then we have enough left over to give out. This happens as we put him first. And you know, who's heard of the Good Samaritan story, the parable of the Good Samaritan in the Bible? We won't read it now for sake of time, but you can read it later, Luke 10, verse 25, for about 10 verses. And Jesus tells us about this guy who picked up a broken man and he paid for him. He paid for his rehab. He prayed for him in his private hospital or at an inn for all his recovery. He didn't even know the guy. And then Jesus said, this is how you love someone, your neighbor or a stranger. Or This is what believers do. So the good Samaritan had enough money, not just for himself and his own needs. He actually had enough money to have bought a donkey already. He owned a donkey because it said he put him on his own donkey. Some translations say animal. Um, but it probably was a donkey. So it's like us. We can pick people up. Who has a car? If you own a car, that's a great asset for the kingdom of God. You can pick people up and bring them to church or something like that. Bring them. So this guy had not just enough for his own needs. He had enough money to have already bought a donkey, which helped carry the broken man to a place of healing, to an inn. He had enough money also to pay for this broken man's recovery, staying in the inn and rehab or a private hospital or whatever. And Jesus is saying, this is how Christians should be. We don't just have enough for ourselves. We have enough to help someone else, even someone we don't know. We see beyond ourselves. So often we rob ourselves of the opportunity to be used by God, to give to others, because we think we don't have enough left over to give. And we think, oh, giving's for other people, rich people, not me. So we discount ourselves from being used by God. We take ourselves out of the equation because we have a mindset that tells ourselves that we don't have enough. And we think, oh, those other people at church, those rich people, they can give. They can give the big bucks, not me, because I don't have much. And we compare ourselves with others and with our friends and other people. Then we come to the conclusion after we've compared ourselves with social media and everything, we're looking at other people and what they're doing. And they have enough to have these holidays, so they must be rich and I'm poor. So, so we think, I'm poor because I don't have as much as that guy. I don't have any extra. Who's ever been on a missions trip to somewhere in the developing world? I've only done one. And when I came back, I thought, no one in New Zealand is poor. <laughs> They're all poor over there. And um, when Alan did his missions trip, uh, last one was about 10 years ago to India, and they were saying, which is now the most populous nation in the world, recently passed China, apparently. Um, and they were saying how they often will bribe an official in the government to just get their kid a job. And they will give a year's worth of their salary, a parent will, to bribe to get a job for their kid. And Alan said, well, do you know what? In New Zealand, if you don't have a job, the government will pay you and give you money. And they, their mouths dropped open. They could not believe it, that you don't have to even worry about, if you don't have a job, someone will still give you money. And it... You know, it's relative. All these things are relative. But we can think we're poor, and so we, we think, well, I can't be involved in, in helping someone or giving anyone money or, or the Lord using me to channel finance through because that's not for me because I'm poor. I don't have any extra. 
I can't even think about giving into the kingdom offering. We're going to have a kingdom offering over the next few weeks. We're going to be giving into the kingdom, which is over and above our tithes and offerings. It's into things of the kingdom. And that's missions, that's evangelism, that's building, that's lots of things we're doing in church. So there'll be more stuff coming out about that in the next week. We can think, I can't give into that. I'm on the bones of my bum. I don't have any extra. But we actually all do have more extra than we think we do. Put your hand up if you own more than two pairs of shoes. Okay, most of us have our hands up. I have um, significantly more pairs of shoes, actually. (laughs) And, And those of us with our hands up, congratulations, we own more shoes than millions of people on this planet will ever own. Hands up if you think you might have over 20 pairs of shoes. Mine are mostly from the op shop, so I sort of feel slightly vindicated. (laughs) It's like lots of shoes. It's the Imelda Marcos anointing. (laughs) In the Western world, most of us do have extra. Put your hands up if you have been to the movies in the past year. Now, that cost you over 10 bucks, so you must have some extra. I must have some extra. In New Zealand, we have been blessed with extra to give. It might not be a lot extra, but it is extra than just living in subsistence mode. God wants to get it to us so that he can get it through us. And we have to get this mindset of, even though I'm maybe not very wealthy, God can still use me, even if it's just a little bit. We're getting a flow going here. Because it's not about the amount, it's about getting a flow going from heaven through us and then to others and to the kingdom. And he can do this with us, even with a little bit. I did this with my kids, you know, when they, when they turned four, oh, until they were four, we'd just give them a little bit of a coin to put in the offering. But when they turned four, we'd start giving them pocket money every week. We started teaching them stewardship, tithing and offering, and then looking out for someone else to give to, also saving some of it, and then they would spend some of it. And they'd often go to the $2 shop and they'd buy something that broke, but that was part of their learning on how to decide on what to spend. But what happens is we can't outgive God. Even as we give a little bit, he will flow it back to us. And if you're not used to this, I challenge you to have a go. You know, about five years ago, we didn't have a lot extra, but we were able to help someone who we heard had zero furniture. They'd gotten to a bind and something had happened and they'd moved out and they'd lost all their furniture and they got a flat again, but they had no furniture. So we were able to I went to an op shop, as I often do, and I bought some basic furniture for this guy, and it wasn't a lot, but it, and it was only about $70, and I managed to get heaps of stuff, like drawers and bed and all these things, microwave, it was amazing. And um, then I went into the next op shop to look for a few more things, and as I was in that op shop, I saw something I wanted myself, which so often happens when you go shopping for someone else, eh? For a present, you buy something for yourself. Well, I do anyway. <laughs> and so I saw this amazing lounge suite. It was so nice, and it was about $350, and I thought, our old leather lounge suite is dying. That one is, looks brand new. Oh, I want it. I wonder if Ellen will like it. So I text him, come down and check out this lounge suite. It's in the Sally's on Cameron Road, and I asked the lady, can I put a hold on it? until my husband sees it, and you know, and, and so she wrote um, Eleanor Hood and put my phone number and stuck it on there. And then I drive home, and I get home, and the store rings me and says, someone has just paid for your lounge suite, and they don't want to be um, made known to you, but they saw your name on it, and they bought it for you. And I'm like, 
Lord, you are so amazing. Within one hour, I give away something, $70 worth of furniture. Within one hour, you're giving me five times that amount back. We can't outgive him. I've tried. Many of you have tried too. It just keeps coming back. And he says that in the word, give and it will come back to you. He is incredible. Whenever we allow God to give through us, we always end up blessed. We never miss out. He wants to get money to us and through us. It's not an either or, it's an and and both. And I am preaching a prosperity gospel today because the gospel includes prosperity. In fact, everywhere on this planet where the gospel has gone, prosperity has followed. I'm talking about justice, democracy, political systems, democratic political systems, welfare, education, schools and universities, health systems, hospitals, clinics. These things have many times been started by Christians. In fact, most of them were started by Christians originally, like hospitals. Florence Nightingale started the modern nursing movement. She was a strong Christian. Um, A great book you could read, some of you probably already read it, called What If Jesus Had Never Been Born by Dr. James Kennedy. That talks about how schools and universities and hospitals and all these things were started by Christians. It was the, they were the hands and feet, the arms and legs of Jesus caring for people on earth. And education has lifted so many people, especially women. And these things are a direct result of God's blessing. If we look national, um, internationally where the gospel has been strong, in the past 500 years, we see places like Britain, USA, New Zealand, Australia, and the southern parts of Africa, where the pros- which is the prosperous West. These are or were largely Christian nations, and that result of, the result of that has been God's blessing. We look at where the gospel has traditionally been, not been strong in the last 500 years, in those places where other religions have dominated, Africa, Asia, A lot of them in the developing world are where the poor and needy are. But let's watch this space because whole people groups are turning to Jesus and what happens is he blesses them, he lifts them and prospers them and sociologists even have a term for this. It's called redemption lift. And we've seen this happen in nations. It's a phenomenon that happens wherever the gospel goes and it's happening especially in parts of Africa and Asia today. It happened in Korea after the Korean War. Within a couple of decades, I think it was within 30 years, it went from people being poor and starving, all the missionaries and pastors in the church has been shut down, missionaries and pastors been kicked out of the nation, the gospel, they tried to shut it down. But then a revival happened through Dr. Cho, who's gone to be with the Lord now. And then many started getting saved, and then multi-millionaires and their standard of living just went through the roof in a very short space of time, And it's called Redemption Lift. This is what happens because God blesses us. Now, it's for a purpose. It's not just for us. Like he said to Abraham, you're blessed to be a blessing. And we can define success very differently than God does. You know, in New Zealand society, we think, yeah, I'm successful if I have a flash car, if I have a big house, I have new latest clothes. But God doesn't see it that way. He just defines success very differently to how people do. Jesus said a phrase many times. It's recorded seven times in the Gospels. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So Jesus is telling us 
that his race is different to this world's race. And we shouldn't be in the world's race. You know, it's like the world's race is like you think you're running fast and being successful if you're out the front with the most possessions or stuff like that. But that's not the race we are meant to be in. We are not to run the world's race where the winner has the most stuff because one day we're all going to die. And when we do, we can't take any of the stuff with us. We didn't bring any stuff into the world when we were born. (laughs) And we can't take any stuff with us when we die. Like Job said in Job 1.21, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. So I'm here to tell you today, you're going out naked. Is that good news? Tell the person next to you, you're going out naked. (laughs) That could be awkward right now, so you don't have to if you don't know the person next to you. (laughs) You know, I have lived for over 50 years and I've never ever seen a funeral procession with a hearse pulling a trailer. We can't take it with us. So why do we spend so much time and energy hoarding and accumulating stuff? In this day and age, we think we all need more stuff. And just how much stuff is enough? That rhymes. <laughs> the spirit of Helen Steiner Rice has come upon me. Rhyming poetry. The answer is, it is never enough. Because we're always trying to get more than the next guy. Because we like to compare ourselves. We are trying to keep up with the Joneses. I don't know who the Joneses are. I don't know if anyone's last name today. And <laughs> here is Jones. But our last name actually is Christian. We belong to the family of Christ. And his ways are different to the ways of this world. The way up is down in the kingdom. If we want to be promoted, we've got to serve. If we want to receive, we have to give. It's upside down thinking to the world. And if we only are focused on gaining wealth, we become worried and anxious. It is the pursuit of the heathen, the unbeliever, to chase after these things. And we as children of God need to trust the Lord for them. Then we can graduate to the next level of stewardship by becoming a channel for God to pour into others. Because as we trust him and we use our money according to his ways, like Victor talked about the other week, tithing and giving, and then we're using our money to give to others as well, the Lord thinks, ah, look at that one. I can trust him. He's a good steward with his money. He's not just keeping it all for himself. He's doing what I said in the word, bringing his first fruits, and he's got some left over to give into the kingdom and to help other people. I can trust that one. So then the Lord will target that person and pour more into them because they have shown themselves to be faithful and trustworthy. Okay, we're moving on here. We're up to point number four. Are you ready? Point number four. Do we have a three? Oh, yes, we've done that. God wants to break the poverty mindset. God wants to break the poverty mindset. It's a mindset we have and we often don't know we have it. If we are to achieve God's purposes for his church in this world, it is vital we break out of our poverty mindset if we have one. We've got to have a bountiful attitude about money and giving where the abundance of heaven can freely flow through us, to us and through us. Now, I've had to do this in my own life because I have Scottish Presbyterian roots. So I've had to learn how to spend money. Does anyone else have Scottish Presbyterian roots? (laughs) It's all good. I thank God for my heritage. (laughs) But, you know, spending money does not come naturally to you. So you have to learn how to do it. Now, I found a great quote around the subject of a poverty mindset. I've been reading this book called um, Keys to Financial Excellence by Pastor Phil Pringle again, and it's such a great book. And he had a quote from his friend, Dr. Burnell, 
who leads a church called the Jubilee Christian Center in California. And Dr. Burnell said, the enemy is trying desperately to bind the church of God through this mindset of poverty and an epidemic of cynicism regarding the whole area of finance in the church. I'd say amen. So often God's people, we adopt the prevailing view of the media and society. We do what's PC rather than God's view of what's found in his word because we are called to live differently, aren't we? You're very quiet today. Is it it like this when we come and preach on finance? (laughs) And you might think, but Eleanor, doesn't the Bible say money is the root of all evil? Actually, it doesn't. Let me... Let's look at that scripture, shall we? First Timothy 6, verse 10a, it says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, which is quite different from the love uh, from money is the root of all evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. That verse has been so misquoted over many years. God does not mind you having money as long as money doesn't have you. Many of the people in the Bible were very wealthy. Like Job, the wealthiest man in the East at the time. Abraham, Isaac, a lot of these ones. Many believers mistakenly believe that God wants them to be poor. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Poverty is part of the curse. Poverty is a horrible, terrible thing. It's not from the Lord. Dr. Cho, again from Korea, he's going to be with the Lord. He founded and led the world's largest church at the time in Korea, he said, it may still be the largest, I'm not sure. He said he has seen poverty up close and personal when he was a young person and a young man. And he said it is so evil, it makes people behave like animals because they're so hungry and so desperate, they will do terrible things because they're poor, because they're just trying to survive. Yet many Christians wrongly believe that poverty is God's will for their life. This is a lie from Satan to try and contain the church and keep it small and impotent. Many Christians want to stay small and stay a victim. Poor me. Poor me, I'm poor. Well, let's go with this philosophy, shall we? If poverty is from God, if being poor is God's will, then come on, let's get really poor. Let's be hardcore poor. Let's go to Calcutta in India and live on the streets with the rats and catch a disease. Come on, if it's God's will, don't stay in New Zealand. They won't let you starve here. We'll give you a benefit, you know. Oh, oh no, oh, no, I don't want to be that poor. Well, how poor shall we be? (laughs) You know, how poor do you want to be? Oh, well, I just want to have enough for myself. For who? For myself. Can we see how selfish we can be with this mentality? Jesus doesn't want us to just live according to ourselves. He wants us to live according to others, according to his kingdom. He wants us to think bigger. He wants us to live in abundance so we don't just have enough for ourselves, but we have enough left over to give and share because it's not all about us. And poverty was taken on the cross by Jesus along with sin and along with sickness. Do you know on the cross, Jesus suffered total poverty and lack so we wouldn't have to. He was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 24 hours. He was thirsty. He even said it, I thirst. He was naked. They'd taken his clothes away and gambled for them. And when he died, he owned nothing. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. 
So Jesus Christ exhausted the poverty curse on the cross so that we might be blessed with abundance. Remember, abundance is having enough for ourselves and some left over to give to others and into the kingdom. So if poverty is God's will, why did Jesus suffer on the cross for it? Besides, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28, there's a whole chapter listing blessings and cursings. And it lists poverty, debt, and lack as part of the curse. And it talks about the lack of all things. That's what poverty is, the lack of all things. But the blessing of God also listed in that chapter is prosperity. It talks about an abundance of all things. Your possessions, your herds, your flocks, your crops, your children, your food, it will all increase and get bigger. So you might ask me today, are you preaching a prosperity gospel, sister? I would say, yes, I am, because there is no other gospel. The gospel will bring prosperity, because that is the heart of God to give every time. We need to see that when we got saved, everything changed. Not only were our sins washed away, we came into a new covenant. We were adopted into a new family, and this family is blessed because God is our Father. So now we're blessed in every way. We are blessed spiritually. We start to prosper spiritually. We have peace. We have forgiveness. We start to prosper relationally. Marriage, children, family, friends. We start to prosper financially, materially. We see this happening in the Bible in the life of Isaac. Again, we won't turn there for a time, but Genesis 26, you can read the whole chapter, but there's three verses there about Isaac. Verse 12, it says, Isaac sowed seed in that land, even during the time of a famine it was, it says in the chapter. Isaac sowed seed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. He had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. Look, the P word, it's in the Bible, prosperity, three times in one verse. Now, we know there have been excesses, especially in the USA, especially televangelists and all that stuff. There have been abuses of this, but we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Being blessed and prospering is a byproduct of knowing and serving God. Maybe right now you are not feeling very blessed or very prosperous in your life. But I want to encourage you today as you keep walking with God and keep following his guidance of how to handle money with tithing and offering it and giving to others, sharing with others, you will begin to prosper. It is just a matter of time. And I've seen this happen in my own life. I was a poor student when I got saved. I had a bed and a bike, and a chest of drawers, and a desk, and they'd all been given to me. I hadn't earned them or bought them myself. My granddad had made my desk and my chest of drawers, and uh, my mum let me take my bike, which was secondhand, and my bed with me when I left home. But man, now I'm so blessed. We have a house, we have four kids, and we are able to, you know, even help others sometimes. So we just thank God. He does this. He is so faithful. Here's another verse. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, says, You shall remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you power to get wealth. Now, why would God give us power to get wealth if it was not his will to do so? He wants us to have more than enough. Not only for ourselves, but some to share with others and give because it is not all about me. Say that with me. It's not all about me. Amen. Tell the person next to you, it's not all about me. 
I'm going to ask the band to join me in a minute. You lovely two people, that'll be great. <laughs> and we're going to um, pray for some people and sing a song in a minute. But before I do, I'm going to read out some verses. This word prosperity is found all through the Bible. So I haven't put them on the screen. I'm just going to say them. Job 36, 11. If they listen and obey God, then they will be blessed with prosperity throughout their lives. All the years will be pleasant. Ezra 9, verse 10, it's the Lord talking. He said, you promise... They're saying, you promised we would enjoy the good produce of the land, speaking to the Lord, and leave this prosperity to our children as an inheritance forever. Psalm 25, verse 12 and 13. Those who obey the Lord will learn from him the path they should follow. They will always be prosperous, and their children will possess the land. Psalm 35, verse 27. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Psalm 66, verse 12, we went through fire and flood, but you brought us to a place of great abundance. Other versions say our wealthy place. Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Proverbs 13, 21, prosperity is the reward of the righteous. Proverbs 13, 22, a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Proverbs 28, 25, trusting the Lord leads to prosperity. And in the New Testament, 3 John 2, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So we've got to see the big picture. You know, if we as God's people are poor and starving and are victims, how are we going to help others? We are called to help others. We're called to be able to give to others. How are we going to do that if we have nothing left to give? So today I'm giving you permission to prosper. Is that okay? Because God gives us that in his word. How are we going to finance God's kingdom and send missionaries and preach the gospel to unreached people groups worldwide if we are flat broke and needing help ourselves? This picture is so much bigger than just us. This is about the evangelization of the planet. We have to see bigger. Yeah, we'll start singing now. We have to think bigger in order to reach this world. God wants all his people to be blessed so we can be a blessing. Why don't we stand this morning? Thank you, Lord.